gentlemen, welcome to a brand new episode of All Steak, No Sizzle, an honest, no BS look at life, sports, entertainment. I am your host, Devin McKenzie, here two weeks in a row. Man, two weeks in a row, people. <laughs> Getting back to the swing of things. So here we are two weeks in a row for another episode of Podcast Go. This episode, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a continuation of the series of shows that I'm doing with family members, friends, and different people called The Unsung Heroes. This is part two of my conversation with my uncle, Pastor Bobby McKenzie of the Macedonian Missionary Baptist Church in Albion, Michigan. Make sure you check them out if you happen to be in Albion. Man, that, that first part... Uh, let me let me let me let me uh, kind of peek behind the curtains, people. So, as you all know, I took a little bit of a hiatus um, last year, and I'm, I'm putting out a lot of the episodes that I recorded before that hiatus. This uh, conversation with my uncle was recorded sometime I want to say October of 2016, and here it is. Man, this is what, August 2018 now? So almost two years later. And going back and listening to the audio, editing the audio from this conversation, man, it is. Um, <laughs> it brought me back to that, you know, that time when me and my uncle were sitting down and having these conversations. And. and <laughs> man, I. I it, my uncle's a dope dude, man. He's, he's, I mean, he's a great guy, and you can hear that in this conversation, and you can tell he, he's a genuine person. He's a person that cares about uh, God, his family, his community, um, and, and it comes through in this conversation. And I, just going back and listening to you know the topics that we hit on. It, Reminded me of some things that I need to work on. I learned some things, some new things. Um, and hopefully, you kind of have the same reaction that I had. Um, we touched on a number of topics. Some of them, well, actually, most of them still apply today. Mind you, this conversation did take place before the election. So Donald Trump had not yet uh, become the president of the United States. This was um, probably about a month or maybe even weeks before the election. Um, we, we definitely touched on on that. <laughs> touched on Donald Trump. We talked about um, how he got into the ministry, how he became uh, a preacher and then the pastor of the Macedonian Missionary Baptist Church and um <laughs> his time preaching at um, my family's home church, a Palestine Missionary Baptist Church here in Detroit, Michigan. Um, we, we talked about the role of a pastor in the community, especially uh, the black community. We talked about being a black man in America. Uh, he talked about you know raising children that are African-American and times that he's been pulled over by police. Um we talked about, you know, the role of making 
social change in the black community and uh, we touched on Black Lives Matter. And that was a very, very uh, interesting conversation that we got into. We talked about the about the beginnings and um, the tactics of Black Lives Matter and uh, and how they're going about creating a social change. And it turned into a very interesting conversation about Black Lives Matter and the NAACP and how... Um, like I say this without giving away too much, how their message is the same, but how they go about it kind of in two different ways and how one organization should go and what one organization should have been doing this whole time. Just pay attention, just listen, and you'll see what I'm saying. It was a very interesting conversation, I must say. It's one of the... Things and this this whole conversation with my uncle that really stood out to me was our our talk about Black Lives Matter. I know my niece will uh <laughs> will appreciate that part. And actually, she came up in this conversation, and we kind of talk about the the generational separation that we have between the the young people of today and how the people of yesteryear. There's there's a bit of a separation between the generations. How we have a, a fight that's been going on this whole time, but generations are separated and fighting uh, the same issues in, in different ways. So pay attention, people. Go ahead and listen. I Really good conversation. Make sure you check out um, Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church's uh, Facebook and Instagram page. I'll throw that in the uh, description. And thank you all for listening one more time, man. Um, this this little comeback has been it's it's, it's something that I needed, man. Um, getting back into the swing of things of doing all steak no sizzle. My my baby, <laughs> my uh, my first podcast. It's good to be back. And. I really ain't got much else to say, man. We have some more uh, <laughs> original content coming up very, very soon. I'm going to be putting out more of these uh, older shows, of uh, the lost tapes, I guess you would call them. Uh, like I said last week, I have conversation coming up on August 10th. That's when I'm going to record the show with my homegirl, uh, Cece and B from work. We're going to be talking about various topics. Um Make sure you check out the Bars brand. Um, girl B, she has her own athletic clothing line. We'll talk more about that next week or like, actually later on this week now that I'm thinking about it. I'm really looking forward to recording that episode. I've got um, another friend that actually has been on the show, uh, Brandy. She's going to pop up on the show. I've got something special planned for that episode. I'll talk about that a little bit more down the line when um once we get that done and let you know what that idea is something very very special um so stay tuned um one of these days i'm gonna do another episode where it's just me talking about what's going on in my life sort of like the reintroduction episode thank you all for those that listen to uh the reintroduction um it was 
a lot more emotional than I thought it would be. <laughs> like going back and listening to that episode again, I, that, it was a lot more emotional than I thought it would be. I, you know, it's one of those things where I just thought, all right, you know, it's like riding a bike, you know, old hat. I just jump, you know, jump back on the microphone and, and get right back to it. But no, nah, man, it, it, I realized I hadn't done this in months. I think it was like seven months, almost eight months since I had recorded a new episode. And that was like a steak bite, but like a full episode, man. It had been almost a year. So, yeah. Thank you all for listening to the reintroduction. Listen to part one of my conversation with uh, my Uncle Bobby. And make sure you all are checking out Knockouts and Three Counts, people, over on Podcast Detroit. Uh, most of the time, whenever I, I we do an episode of... Uh, knockouts and three counts. I put it on the all steak no sizzle page. If I forget, forgive me. Um, you can check out us live on Facebook and knockouts and three counts on Facebook. Um, check out our last social media is KO3C Pod, KO3C Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or check out KO3C Pod.com. Yes, so you can find all of our social medias. And make sure you check out the Reality Era News page on Facebook where we talk wrestling. Whatever's going on, you know, nostalgic wrestling stuff. Just, you know, wrestling in general. And while you're, you know, checking out the social medias, go to All Steak No Sizzle on Twitter. No, I'm sorry, that's Instagram. All Steak No Sizzle on Instagram. And that's Devin the 63 on Twitter. That's D-E-V-I-N-T-H-E-6-3. Make sure you check out the All Steak No Sizzle Facebook page as well. And spread the word, people. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find All Steak, No Sizzle. That's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Podcast Republic, all that good stuff. And if there is a platform that you listen to platform, well, excuse me, if there's a platform that you listen to podcast on that the show is not available, let me know. And I'll try to remedy that. Hey, if you want to send me an email, do so at asnspodcast at gmail.com. That's asnspodcast at gmail.com. So, people, with all that good stuff being said, let me stop yammering and let's get into this conversation with Pastor Bobby McKenzie of the Macedonian Missionary Baptist Church in Albion, Michigan. time here in Michigan you were called to uh to the ministry yeah yeah um talk to me a little bit about getting into it mm-hmm. and you know being a family man in, in the ministry so let me so I'm gonna keep bouncing back and forth from Mississippi to whomever right. and probably some of your audience is going to identify with this because I'm probably speaking to somebody um I was originally called to preach at eight years old Really? Way back in Mississippi, in the third grade, I can clearly remember God calling me to preach, and I didn't want to do it. 
didn't want to do it. And I remember having this long conversation with God, like, man, I'm eight years old. I don't want to preach. Right. But that was the call on my life. But I didn't accept that call until I was about 36, 37. So almost 30 years. Right. And he would remind me periodically. But I ran. I wasn't trying to do that. And I believe that's also, when I say there were some other things at play, he wasn't going to keep blessing me if I wasn't going to do what he said. So he put me in Michigan in a place where I couldn't leave because I wasn't going to leave my family right? and couldn't work. Didn't necessarily want to be here. Didn't want to be, be here. in Pennsylvania. Didn't want to be here. Right. Much colder than Pennsylvania. <laughs> About a good, almost 10 degrees colder. Right. I didn't like Pennsylvania cold. So I hated Michigan cold. <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't happening. And it didn't really start happening for me until I accepted that call. I accepted my call into the ministry at the maybe like December of 2007. Mm-hmm. I started working January 2008. Wow. Just that quick. Because God wasn't going to continue to bless me and I was going to be disobedient to him. And so how did it all look and work for me? It was simply a faith move, man. I ain't know. I was scared as all get out. Like, okay, I don't know what's going on, but hey, I'm just gonna try this, and this is what it is. So, when, when did you become the pastor of your own church? I became the pastor of the Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church in the lovely city of Albion. All 7,500 of the <laughs> population of Albion here in, and this I think this is actually Central Michigan. Um, in August of 2014, wow. so a little over two years ago. Okay, so 2008 is when you, what well, late 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. is when you started. Yep. And you were in Kalamazoo at that time. And Correct. You became the pastor here at Macedonia in 2014. 14. Correct. So in that, we'll, we'll say 10-year period, mm-hmm. how would you compare the black church experience here in Michigan to black church experience in Quitman, Mississippi Um, or in uh, Pennsylvania too, since you spent time there too. Completely different. Um, in Kalamazoo. So my experience, what I'm about to describe is probably not necessarily typical because, uh, God allowed me to actually, uh, when we moved to Kalamazoo, I joined a, 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 church that is like no other church to be honest with you um mount zion baptist church in kalamazoo right. uh, so my pastor and my spiritual father dr addis moore he do ministry different than anything i'd ever seen in mississippi or pennsylvania uh, mississippi and pennsylvania were similar pennsylvania was just a little bit faster a little bit bigger and more right but um uh, man mount zion was something and so as you uh noted um I, I accepted my call in actually in 2007 and I started training. And so we went through ministers training mm-hmm. for the next three years because the belief was and you've, in Pennsylvania, I mean, in Mich- uh, Mississippi, I know I saw it and I saw it a little bit in Pennsylvania. If I went to my pastor and said, you know what? I believe I've been called to preach what they were going to do. And in no, sh- in short order, they were gonna find a date probably within the next month or so. Say, so, yeah, we are gonna ha- actually put you up and let you preach. 
I don't know nothing about preaching. They're going to actually call some people in and have a service and let you preach. You don't know nothing. Wow. Well, that ain't how we did it at Mount Zion. What was going to happen was you was going to train on preaching for about three years. And the only time you was going to preach, you was going to preach in a private setting. You are going to preach to other preachers so they could critique you. And so it was almost like an apprentice program right. where they actually train you on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So by the time that we brought the people together and they heard me preach, oh, I knew what I was doing. It wasn't like this is my trial sermon or my first sermon. No, I've been preaching for like three years. You just hadn't heard it. Right. But what it did, it instilled in me a discipline to study, a discipline on my craft. And so uh, I would like to think that you heard me preach today. You oh, heard yeah. me preach before. I think it was okay. But those that preaching don't happen by accident. I don't do potluck preaching. I know pretty much exactly what's going to happen. And it's not like people get church and, and preaching mixed up like, uh, well, you know, you got to be, it's got to be a move of God. God blesses preparation. Right. And so if you ain't prepared, First of all, people going to know it because you ain't hitting on nothing. Right. But when we coming out of that type of training, when we go, when we stand up before the people, oh, no, we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. So we, we were, I was trained for three years. I was licensed in 2000. As a matter of fact, I'm going to list stuff right there. I was licensed in 2010, I believe that says, September 2010. Mm -hmm. And then I was ordained in 2012. So two years later. I was ordained, and then um, churches started looking at me to be their pastor. And I actually went through um, three, three experiences that I'll never want to go through again, <laughs> but three experiences, and then uh, God finally placed me here at Macedonia. Okay. Quick question. What was it like preaching at the Palestine Missionary Baptist Church? It was actually, it was great. It was great. <laughs> uh, it was my first, in, first time preaching in the city of Detroit. And it just happened to be uh, the the uh, home church of my brother and my sister-in-law and my family. Right. And so that all, all of that, man, it was great. Um, I walked away being better. Um, I had seen some things because it was good to get a different view. And Palestine, Palestine is, a, is actually a good church. Mm -hmm. um, the I can tell the people there, man, they love that church and they're very loyal to that church. The right. older people are. Right. Um, probably could stand to do a little bit more for the youth. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right, right, that's right. neither here nor there. But I, it was great. It was great. All right. Now, a quick side story. I, I, you told me this story before, but uh, I kind of want to get this with the podcast. Uh, so what was it like your first time being in Detroit? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of a loaded question, too, because I guess my first, first time, first, first time that I came to Detroit, actually, I was, man, I was a little kid. Uh -huh. But this first time when I moved to Michigan and coming over, man, uh, Detroit, man, Detroit is a dangerous city, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have your head on a swivel, man, when you're in the, in the D, man. Wow. Um, I just remember um, – coming over to <laughs> I was coming to Detroit to pick up my mom mm -hmm. and cause she was over to my she I thought she was over to Grip's house and she ended up being over to your guys' house okay. and um, I ain't know no better man I got I'd driven all night came over there to pick her up 
and I got there, couldn't get in touch with my one brother, so I'm, st I'm outside of his house, and he ain't home, so I don't know what else to do, and I don't know my way over the city, so I go to sleep in my car. <laughs> and uh, I finally wake up and got in touch with your dad. Uh -huh. He said, where you at? I said, I'm in front of Grip House. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, I just took a little nap. He said, what? <laughs> he said, you can't do that up here, boy. <laughs> you can't do that. He said, I'm going to go and get you. You can't do it. Yeah, it, it, it was a little scary for me, bro. Right. Well, actually, that's not the story I was thinking about, but that's a, that's another go. But uh, from a story you told me before, you made a little trip to a restaurant, or McDonald's or Burger King or something oh, like that. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's in the same vein. Um, it was actually the same trip. Okay. It was the same trip. Or was it? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was it was a different trip. Uh, <laughs> So with the with the uh, I think it was Popeyes. Okay. I think it was Popeyes, and uh, I, mean, I don't know what street it was on. Um, went to Popeyes, walked up in that piece, and this girl is behind such a thick <laughs> plate of glass, <laughs> and I knew we was in trouble right now. I was like, "What in the world?" And uh, she took my order, and she spit that that uh, when the order came out, she spit that glass around and gave me my stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> is, is people shooting up in this piece or, or what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was scary. I, I forgot about that one. Yeah. Yeah. That that was something, man. I had never experienced anything like that. Because wow. the Popeyes that I was used to, man, they, they first of all, the person is so friendly. And she just want to keep holding a conversation with you. And you can reach out and shake the hand and all that stuff. Right. And I'm, like, looking at this young lady behind this gigantic thick plate of glass like, right oh my goodness man, i forgot all about that yeah <laughs> yeah i, I just always uh, like that story it was always funny to me mm. so all right let's uh starting to wind down now you're the pastor of a black church yes and as the leader of your flock mm -hmm. dealing with uh situations that are going on now in our country with yep. police brutality a yep. lot of racial issues are coming up right now yep what is your role in and leading your people and what do you tell your people how to deal with these issues and basically what is your role mm -hmm. in leading them in, through this this time as a as a as a leader not only the leader of this church but as a leader in this city um my responsibility actually is double is double fold i guess mm -hmm. um when i'm in front of the people i am going to encourage them on uh quite frankly how we carry ourselves and right. their personal responsibility and their own behavior. But the conversation don't stop there because I'm that dude. So I've actually already had a meeting with the chief of police here in the city of Albion. I want to get to know him. I right. want him to get to know me. Um, I have a relationship with him that if there's any crime that happened in this city, I want to know about it. And so I call him up or I send him an email and he'll give me details that he don't give the media. Really? And I want to build that rapport because what I'm after is ultimately this. I want you to know that somebody else in this city cares about these people. And I want you or your police department to ever abuse them. And so my conversation with our people here in the congregation, and we got a primarily African-American 
congregation. There are right. some Caucasians that are here. As a matter of fact, uh, our church clerk is a very lovely young Caucasian girl. Right. Um, and she she's like my right hand. She does an amazing job. But I'm constantly teaching the Bible is designed to help us navigate this thing called life. And it's always pushing us toward behavioral modification. But it is not enough for me to preach to our people about their behavior. Right. If we have happen to have a police department in this case that is out of control. And so it is my job to also build a relationship with that department so that we can help them with some behavioral modifications. Because I always want them to know, one, these are not just numbers out here. They're these people. Right. And your job, as I understand it, is to protect and serve. And so I want to help you do your job. Now, I don't want our people to hurt you. Right. I certainly don't want you to hurt our people. And so as the pastor in this city, I'm basically having dual conversations, which in my mind are the same conversations. They're right. just with different audiences. Now, a lot we've all seen different videos of different instances happening in various cities, big, small, medium. Yep. When you see all these these different situations happen, what what goes through your mind as one black man, mm -hmm. two American citizen, mm -hmm. three as a pastor? Yep. Um, makes my job more important that there are some things that are in this world with these systems no matter what the system is um, the word of God is the only thing that ultimately is going to improve them and so so we have a world system that's broken and quite frankly we broke it when I say we humans not race of any sort humans we broke it it's a sin issue and so whether it's the police, whether it's our people, whether it's whomever, there's a sin issue. So my job, when I see it, is just, I mean, I have to double down on preaching and teaching, but I have to do it in a very responsible way. I never blame the victims. We put accountability where it's supposed to be. Right. Dude, if you're a police officer and you do dirty, we calling it out, man. Right. The blue doesn't give you the right to be a criminal any more than anybody else has the right to be a criminal. Exactly. So we call it out. But when I when I see it, um, I think about what I need to do personally because I am a, a black man in America. Right. I think about what I not only need to teach my son, um, a 15-year-old African-American, but his peers – in our church and vicinity, then I also start framing what the conversations need to be uh, in the circle of influence that I have with these relationships that I'm building both in the city and in our, our church and our community. Okay, and you brought up uh, your son, and I can only imagine, I don't have any kids, I can only imagine how, no more how hard it is to raise children. <laughs> Challenge. Yeah. But especially raising two African-American children, especially a young African-American male, especially during these times where it almost feels like there's a target on us. So 
number one, like how do, how do you deal with that personally? Like knowing that you have to prepare him for the world that he's getting ready to jump into, and do, how do you prepare him for that? The the it feels like it's more of a target now, but I don't believe it's any more of a target now than it has ever been. The world I came out of, I just didn't feel it. Right. But at any given time, man, um, <laughs> growing up in Mississippi, it could have happened, man. It, it could have broke out. Uh, I used to drive home on those country roads late at night, man. It could have broke out at any time. Right. Um, but it is, I do have to be intentional. So what we share with Jeffrey is, He's not driving yet, and so that's gonna add a whole nother level of of concern, I guess. Right. Because I personally have been uh, stopped while black in Michigan. Right. Um, in a little place not too far from here. Um, you mind talking about that? Oh, situation? no doubt. Um, I was working at, uh, and I preached about it in the sermon today. I'm working at Perigo Pharmaceutical Company, and there's a um, there's a little city on my route. Um, Otsego. Okay, not too familiar with that. Um, you go up uh, 131, and you go through Plainwell, Michigan, and you go through Otsego, and then you get to Allegan. Okay. I had come into Otsego. It was actually, it was like, uh, I think it was like New Year's Eve, New Year's night or something. It was a holiday, but I had to go to work that night, and I worked third shift. Mm-hmm. And I saw the police officer as I came in town. So it wasn't like I was speeding and I had to slow down. No, I saw him. I was already going to speed limit. But as soon as I came into town, just some told me he gonna stop me. Right. So he was parked at a grocery store that sits right at the corner of the light that I had to stop at. So I came through town, I had seen this dude, uh, seen the car, came in during the speed limit, pull up to the, to the uh, traffic light, made a left, I knew he was going to stop me. I knew he was going to follow me before he even pulled out. And just sure as you please, he pulled right out behind me. I made my left turn, signal, proper lane, uh, speed and everything. And about maybe about 50 yards after I got through that light, his lights came on. Right. And I was like, I knew it. So here it is at, it was actually, so I had to be to work at 11. So this is about 1040. PM mm-hmm. in Otsego, and I think me and him was the only cars I saw on this on the street that night. Right. So, well, well, let me stop you right there. Go ahead. So you're driving, you on your way to work, and you know it's about to happen. Yep. Once those lights come on, what 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 is what's that feeling like? What goes through your mind? Um, for me, it was here we go. I already know what this is about. Here we go, but can't panic. Right. Because one thing I do know above everything else, man, know that dude got a gun. And his job is to carry a gun. And if he shoot me, he can shoot me, and I don't even get a chance to tell my story. Right. So I pull over. I very slowly get my stuff insurance registration driver's license he pulls he said um where you going going to work say do you know why i pull you over absolutely not here was his reasoning (laughs) he said you were driving too close to the center line okay 
ain't say a word. Now I'm thinking, but I also know because I'm from Mississippi, man. This ain't new. Right. The same old deal, just a different dude. So, giving my stuff, I sit there. I ain't bothering nobody. I ain't saying nothing. I ain't with the yes sir, no sir, all that stuff. It's okay. You bring my stuff back. I know my stuff is clean. Know my vehicle is good. You bring it back. Okay. Uh, just uh, be careful. Yes, sir, I will. Sure will. Didn't take his badge and, and all that stuff. Here's why. Here's why. Because I could have gotten into my feelings that night. Right. And in that situation, the likelihood is I'm going to lose. But there's only so many cops. This is Osego because it's a very small city. Mm-hmm. So if I needed to, I could find him and do all the other stuff. But what I really did is uh, I got to work and I was talking to actually a couple of the guys that worked for me. One of them was an ex-cop. He told me, he said, yeah, you got stopped because you were black. That's, that's the bottom line. I said, yep. I said, but it's more important to me that I lived to tell somebody else. And so now um, we share about Osego and you know, whenever I get a chance, that police officer may still be out there doing his thing or not. But what I do know is I try to pick my fights where I can have the most impact. I mean, I could get that dude fired, but that ain't gonna stop nothing. Right. But, so we try to work now a little more behind the scenes and go above not in that case in this one but right. I try to understand how to work and get the biggest bang for my buck and it's not that I run away from a fight but I just understand man um, sometimes the juice isn't worth the squeeze it's really not sometimes it's really not and and this is a fight you and I being in this beautiful brown skin we're going to fight it our whole lives so we might as well get the biggest bang for our buck that we can in my opinion right so like I said, we'll start winding down. When incidents like this happen, like, um, I know you're probably familiar with the Philando Castillo situation mm-hmm. in, I think it was Minnesota, where mm-hmm. he uh, was shot, basically reaching for his wallet. He told the officer, I have, I have my gun, I have my permit, I'm getting you all this information. Mm-hmm. And cops shot him anyway. Mm-hmm. When a situation like that happens, not just from, not just you, but the community mm-hmm. itself, what do you, you feel the, entire black community's response should be because we have an organization that's, that's growing called the Black Lives Matter mm-hmm, movement. Mm-hmm. And of course they're, they're receiving resistance. Mm-hmm. What do you feel our, the community should be doing and your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter <laughs> organization? Let me start with the Black Lives Matter organization. Okay. Um, and I, I recognize my niece is very, very active uh, with Black Lives Matter, so I respectfully say this. Um, I, I agree with 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 their stance. I'm not sure if I agree exactly with some of the tactics. And when I say some of the tactics, is um, if Black Lives Matter, I want all the Black Lives to matter, man. I don't want it to just be a matter the ones that matter when it's a police shooting. Right. So I want black lives to matter 
when all the Black Lives Matter. And I'm, that, and that's not to say that what they're doing is not important. Right. But I want them. I want to. I want to know that all Black Lives really matter. And so Black Lives Matter to me is only one conversation. And what I don't, what I believe is that there needs to be multiple conversations. One conversation is Black Lives Matter when there is a uh, situation from, in this case, primarily police officers. Right. But there needs to be another conversation, and and they are dual conversations, is how do we value our own lives and our own communities? Right. And when we value, I believe that a lot of it that's going on, man, is that other people, wrongfully so, other people don't see us valuing each other. Right. So they don't value us. And I think that there's two conversations. Black Lives Matter, I think what they're doing is important. Like I say, I don't always agree with some of their tactics, but um, what they're doing is only one part of the conversation. Right. I believe that um, when something happened, the police force, uh, when there's a, a wrongful death of any kind, especially from the police force, because this whole issue is not a new issue. Not at all. This, especially me growing up in Mississippi, I know the stories. I know what was going on. Police brutality and police violence against African-Americans is a old story. The only thing that's new is that we now have cell phones and that's social media to share it. So it, now man. it's like, now you know it's out there. That's it. And so now we have a responsibility as a community to absolutely hold our officials in the law enforcement area, absolutely hold them accountable. Right. That don't mean we go out and start shooting them. Exactly. But we do have to hold them accountable. But I'm a firm believer, a firm believer that a lot of that will get better. It'll get better. Not that it's the end all. It'll get better when other people really see us valuing each other. I can't decide, man, I'm just going to go up and shoot up a neighborhood. I'm black and it's a black neighborhood. And that is okay. But if the police come and shoot the one person in that neighborhood, then I'm going to lose my mind. Right. Because all those black lives matter. I ain't, I don't get into this all lives matter. Right. No, black lives matter. I'm I'm down with that. Right. Because everybody else ain't getting shot at the same rate we get shot. Exactly. But black lives do matter. So I think as a community, uh, we certainly have to uh, make sure that we've already uh, taken care of a couple of things in our, in our neighborhood. But that's not, I don't want to confuse the conversation because that's a separate conversation. Right. If even if I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to, I still don't want you to come over here and shoot me. Exactly. But if I take care of this, I think that's going to help you to realize I value case case in point. Case in point, um, we have this situation out in is it North Dakota, South Dakota, or yeah, something like that. The standing, I think it's called Standing Rock. Standing Rock. Yeah. So um, the protesters are Native Americans, right? And the police force who was uh, out there to stop them, they purposely took bean bags to shoot. Right. And I'm thinking, huh, that's great. But when was the last time you purposely brought bean bags 
to a community that look more like me. Exactly. And if you have to shoot, it's not lethal. You know, bring up another example. After the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, there was a situation that happened a couple of days after that at a convenience store where there was a, there was a black guy who, and I almost felt like he was doing it on purpose to prove a point so that the police would shoot him. And, I mean, I'm not saying that's how you go about it, but I, I do believe that's what he was doing. He was in a grocery store, and the clerk called the police, but they, the clerk told the police, like, the guy is me- mentally unstable, and the guy had, like, a butter knife in his hand. But the police shot him. Yep. And I'm, uh, and I'm watching it. You're watching this on TV, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, okay, yeah, legally he does have a weapon. But it's a knife, mm-hmm. and you have guns to the guy. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be trained officers. Mm-hmm. Why are you Why are you shooting to kill this guy when you see he all he has is a knife? Mm-hmm. So, like you're saying, in this situation with the Native Americans, yeah, they have bean bags out. Okay, the guy's not compl- complying to your demands. Do you have to kill him? Do you, right. you can't just you know get the right. taser out. You can't if you have to shoot him. Right. Shoot him in the leg to right. just you know uh, take him down. But yeah. So, so so watch this. Watch this. Uh, that's a good example, but let me give you one even better. And I think it was in Florida. The dude was lying in the street. Hands up in the air. Hands up in the air. Yeah. And the police shot him. He ain't had no weapon at all. And so here's what I, this is what I've learned. And you talk about response to, um, as a community, what we need to do. Yeah, we hold them accountable. Here's how I think we hold them accountable. The One of the big reasons in addition to how they view our community and, and what is going on and how they view our community overall. I think one of the big reasons that there are so many police shootings is that the law actually is geared for them to have the right to shoot us, even if it's not necessary. Right. So a police officer in many cases can use lethal weapon if they perceive that there is danger right. because the law actually is geared to be on their side. Exactly. And so as a community, that's where our fight also need to be. It's not just there. It's kind of like uh, back in the day, uh, there was a huge disagreement at the very beginning of the civil rights movement. And a lot of people don't even remember this or know this. There was a disagreement between Martin Luther King and um, uh, what's the judge name? The, the civil rights lawyer, um, Became Thurgood Marshall. Thurgood Marshall. Right. There was a it was a disagreement, and at the time it seemed like it was philosophical, but it was bigger than that. Thurgood Marshall believed that the way for the uh, American Negro to actually gain a foothold in this society was through changing the law. Right. And so he was all about going through because he had an understanding that if you have laws on the books, it is easier for you to go after them to enforce the laws or change the laws that will help everybody. And and at the same time, um, the system or people that are trying to keep us down have legal precedent to do so at this point. That's correct. That's correct. And so the civil rights movement with uh, Dr. Dr. King was more aggressive. And it, they decided to employ diso, civil disobedience with the understanding they were going to get arrested. And Thurgood Marshall was like, you actually going to purposely get arrested. Right. That don't make sense. But I believe both of them were right. Right. 
And so you have Black Lives Matter, right? Who front line, go out there, show this force, make sure our voices are heard. Um, probably could improve some of the little stuff, but right. the the overall context of what they're trying to do, got it. So you got that uh, happening. But I still think you need to actually go after some of the laws because you got to take some of the authority from the blue right. that gives them the right to shoot me justifiably, even if I don't have no weapon. Right. Because uh, as you see, when it, most of the time when it happens, they walk away free. Because the law is written for them. Exactly. And so... When you talk about response, I think it has to be multifaceted. It can't just be we're demonstrating and we're going to shut down the interstate. That stuff has its place, no doubt. And I'm not even uh, knocking that. So in my mind, our response. So here's what I would I would actually teach our people. My first response would be let's take care of. Do our take care of business in our own community a little bit better. Let's let's right. actually respect each other's lives. Second, okay, we may need to mobilize today because right. they need to understand we ain't cool with this. So in a Black Lives Matter kind of move, yep, we may have to go and we may have to march. We may have to go down to the to City Hall or to the police department or whatever. But in the midst of that, there needs to be some more action because that law. That's giving you the right to do that? No, no, that that has to change. Right, and that's a slower slower process, but just as important. Uh, conversation me and my niece had. We were basically talking about Black Lives Matter and how it started. Basically, it started off as a hashtag on the internet after the what I say was the Michael Brown shooting, so. not yeah. or Trayvon Martin. It's so it's so many of these instances you start right. forgetting which one they are. But basically, we're saying like our lives matter too. It started off as a hashtag, and from there it became more of an organization. And one of the questions that keep coming up is what is the state, what is the mission statement of Black Lives Matter, which Mm -hmm. is something I want to know too. Mm -hmm. When you mobilize from a hashtag to an actual organization, I feel like whenever you have an organization, you've got to have a mission statement, you have to have a purpose, and it has to be known to everybody else. I'm not exactly sure what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So would you agree that in order for Black Lives Matter to become bigger and to be more understood by, you know, everybody in the country, do you think they need to basically have a clear mission statement? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, basically clear leadership of who, who's running it? And Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, any organization, there needs to be some form of leadership and a direction, a formal direction. Um, and in that, with the mission and vision statements, now I can be way more proactive than just reactive because um, when I'm reactive and I don't have a clear mission or vision, it just seems like, um, okay, we had another shooting and now we're going to do this and it always get out of control. Every single time, it seems to me, it gets out of control because Everybody out there ain't even on the same page. Exactly. They don't know, like, okay, we out here. What are we supposed to do? Oh, we going to turn over some cars and do that? And I know that this, that's probably extreme, but... But you always get you always have those knuckleheads yes, in a bunch. But yes, 
if you, I feel like if you have a clear mission statement, the people that want to be out there for that are going to be there, and then you can point out the ones clearly like, okay, that's not what we're about. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely I agree with that. I definitely feel like it needs to be more organization and but and not a problem, but I think um, basically the, the young people that started the hashtag were basically thrust into a position of leadership. Maybe. Maybe they just they just started you know just something to put on the internet, but it became a lot bigger than they even expected it to be because mm -hmm. now it's basically an organization, and I, I think until it, it's a lot more organized, there's a clear mission statement and clearly defined what those roles are. People are going to have the almost the justification to call it what they're, they're calling it a terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. and until you become a little bit more solidified in what the roles are, I don't I think until then. The, the organization won't be taken as seriously as it needs to be. Because honestly, I'm young. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the NAACP role is now. Mm -hmm. Like, I know NAACP was a lot bigger, you know, before my time. But now, I don't, I don't really know that much about the NAACP. <laughs> but I feel like the Black Lives Matter, or if it could be the new generation of NAACP. But until they get that solid organization it's going to be looked at as how it is now i i i think you're i think you're exactly right and um and it's funny because i think the naacp um in my humble opinion um the naacp um has <laughs> they had a for a long time i think they had a narrow focus that was on point right for years they broadened their focus which made them ineffective. So they had a mission statement. They had a vision. Then they basically included every single body. And ain't nobody in this country got it like we got it. Right. And so when you decide, I'm going to represent every single person, um, any disadvantage of any kind, um, you lose effectiveness, in right. my opinion. Um, so... I am a member of the local NAACP because I know what they're doing. Right. On a national level, yeah, not so much. Okay. Not so much. Because I think that they have the the horsepower, if you will, to do something about what's going on in the streets. But I don't think that they have the I don't think they have the focus for what affects you and me to the point that they're going to do anything about it. Hmm. Almost kind of like NAACP got bigger than they probably expected. And when a lot of times what happens when, you, when any organization starts off, it starts off at a grassroots level, so you really focus on that issue. But the bigger and bigger you get, you kind of get away from that original purpose, that grassroots level. Very much so. Very almost much almost so. like a... Uh, rap music, you Very know, guy starts off on the underground. They're all about the cause, but as soon as they start yep. getting to the big levels, you yep. know, make a little bit more money, they kind of get yep. away from yep. where they originally started. Absolutely, absolutely. Just like with rap, when rap, man, they used to just rap about sneakers. <laughs> That's all they rapped about, man. And then all of a sudden, it became gangster rap and, and bees and hoes and all this stuff, and and it it did it lost its it, it lost its focus. Uh, the NAACP, uh, the oldest. Uh, civil rights uh, uh, organization in this country, man, don't ever underestimate how powerful they can be. Right. But you and I both know how ineffective 
They are in many cases. Right. And it's not because they can't be more powerful. Um, Black Lives Matter, those young people who are, are so passionate and who are out there on the front line, quite frankly, should never have had to be out there by themselves like that. They never, they should have already been able to plug into a mission that was already in place and was ready to mobilize in an instant. But when this group and that group and that group and that group that has not the same struggle that you and I have had our entire lives and will always have, now we got to represent everybody else that actually don't have the same struggle. I don't care how they cry wolf with it. They don't have the same struggle. Now, uh, I'm going to be more reluctant to send resources down there because I got resources over here and I'm spread thin and I got resources over here when now our young brothers and sisters who they, they want to do something. Right. Because I believe, you know, this whole thing has always been intergenerational. Um, what people forget, man, Martin Luther King and them boys weren't the only one out there getting it in. And it's right, man, it was a lot of young people out there. Right. It has always been that together. And even those, uh, I think SNCC and some other organizations grew out of it. They were all in the same fight. They just like, okay, I, I just want this thing to speed up a little bit. Black Lives Matter, they had to go out there because there wasn't nobody else out there. Right. So, basically, what, what you're kind of saying is like, a lot of times people think our generation is lazy, we don't really care, but we finally got the energy up. We got that fighting us to actually do something about it. So, we basically had to start our own organization when there's organizations already out there that we probably should have be, been working with the whole time. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Each generation is supposed to lay a foundation for the next generation to build on. Your generation, lazy or not, whatever you whatever you're gonna call it, right. your generation should never have to build something from the ground up. Your generation should actually push whatever is already there to the next level because it's already established. But when my generation decides, well, I ain't doing nothing. So Generation X, I'm sitting back chilling. Right. But the millennials had to come forth and do something because I'm trying to decide whether I want to do something or not. You actually got thrown to the wolves. And because we hadn't partnered, it wasn't that I ain't know how to do it. I just wouldn't do it. Right. Which in turn, I wasn't out there with you to give you some guidance on, okay, this is how we may want to do this. And this is a better way. And we can get our message out stronger. And maybe I need to work with you to get a, a clear mission on what we're going to be doing out here. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm not trying to boss you around. I'm just here to support. And if it worked that way, man, we clean this thing up in a minute. Right. And we were kind of talking about it in the church before, especially my church, how, you know, the older people are involved but need to work more with the youth. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you if you don't have that, that youthful energy to go with that wisdom, absolutely, you got two sides fighting against each other. So I think perhaps the Black Lives Matter movement and NAACP and all these other older organizations need to come together because the energy is there. Absolutely, absolutely, just need the guidance. And, and and watch this now from a church perspective, man. Jesus gave us the answer a long time ago, man. He put a a, a, a structure in place. It was called discipleship. Now we can call it mentoring. We can call it. Uh, apprenticeship and all. No, Jesus called it discipleship. And he was out on the front line with his boys doing his thing, but he never let them go out by themselves until they were ready. And so this discipleship piece, 
the NAACP, man, they have all the experience. They have the foundation. If they disciple some of my brothers and sisters who are part of Black Lives Matter and now help some of that zeal and that energy be guided in a, uh, a constructive way, not trying to uh, put water on it, right. but just give them some guidance. Let them know, man, I'm with you. I'm in this with you. I'm, and as a matter of fact, I'm right here, but I ain't going to let you go left field on it when you don't have to. Right. Then it works. It works. That is the not only the secret to this situation, it's the whole secret to our whole community, man. Right. So how do we how do we get that together? How um how do we get it together? Um I would say big question, not an easy solution. Right. Um since the and, and it's gonna sound crazy that what I'm about to say. But I am gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of of um, responsibility for lack of a better term. I'm gonna throw it on your generation, man. Okay. Because we may call you lazy. We the one that got lazy. So you gotta challenge us again. You gotta actually initiate the conversation with my generation, and the ones ahead of us, and we are gonna give you the business, boy. We've been out there doing blah, blah, blah. Y'all just got, don't hear the noise, man. Right. Remind us of what the struggle is today. And remind us that just because we're older don't mean we have escaped the struggle. And ask us questions, just like you asked them. Because we got a lot to say. Right. We just want to know you're going to ask us. So I almost stroke our ego a little bit. Like, okay. We got some problems out here, Unc. What can we do? And now, I got to think about it. Right. Now, because you're sitting right in front of me. I can't blow you off. Right. Okay, here's what we can do. And 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 so, that's what I'm going to uh, almost put on your generation. And it's unfair, I know. Right. But that's what it is, man. Uh, you got to help re-energize us that this thing is still out there. We still got work to do. And we got this young army of brothers and sisters, man, ready to go get it. We ain't got to do it by ourselves. But they need us in the game, and they need our wisdom and our support. And don't take no for no answer, man. Man. And honestly, that's part of the reason why I'm I'm doing this series of shows. Like I said, it started off with me just talking to my moms about her situation, and then the more and more I was talking to her, and I'm like, man, all this sounds like the same thing that's going on right now. Absolutely. And hopefully with this this series of shows that I'm doing, it, it does both. It lets people my age and younger know that, hey, we got work to do. We got stuff that we need to do. But also let them know that this isn't new. This has happened before. Right. And then also hopefully hearing – some of the stories that's, that's going on in the past and realizing that a lot of that same stuff is going on right now. Mm-hmm. Energ- like you said, energizes people your generation mm-hmm. and older. So hopefully we can come together and, and, and make this thing a lot better. I didn't mean to take up this much of your time. Man, this has been a blessing. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I've had a blast with this, man. I want to ask you one last question, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Go get it. Um, I was talking to my father, and my father graduated in 1969. Gotcha. Um. 
African Americans got the right to vote in 1968. So he graduated a year after the voters' rights was passed. And it made me think, like, when I was 13, 14 years old, I was looking forward to being 18 and saying, man, I can, you know, I can vote. I can, you know, go to the Army. I can buy cigarettes. I look mm-hmm. at all this stuff I was looking forward to. Mm-hmm. But it, it kind of threw me off to think that my father never had that moment. He never thought about, man, I can't wait till I turn 18 and I can vote. His thought process was, man, I hope I'm, I'll have the right to vote someday. Mm-hmm. When you came up, you, the, you already had the right to vote. Mm-hmm. So did you ever vote? In Mississippi, mm-hmm. what was that process like for you? Um, it was just sim- It was simply for me a sense of responsibility. It wasn't like excitement. It wasn't like something I was just looking forward to. It was just a sense of responsibility. I knew that even if I didn't like the candidates, I felt a sense of responsibility that I had to vote because I understood those who came before me who didn't have the right to vote. So it was simply, and quite frankly, be honest with you, same thing I feel today. Same thing I feel today is um, I may not be excited about any particular candidate, but I have in my mind a responsibility to vote. And so when I go in, it's not like, whoo, man, I felt good. No, (laughs) it's I got to do this. So I don't care what goes on. There have been maybe one or two elections where I literally I just forgot that it was election day. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> but that's a rare moment. Even the very small, quote-unquote, small local elections. Which honestly are probably the more they, important. They're the ones that affect me the most. Right. Um, I'm down with it, man, because there is a level of responsibility. See, you, you thinking, you're talking about your dad, my, my older brother. I'm thinking about my daddy right i'm thinking about your your grandfather my daddy jim mckenzie i'm thinking about my granddaddy george mckenzie that would never ever 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 going to be a possibility for them right for him at least and the, the the amazing thing is by the time you get to 1964 1968 the voters right act if you will had been signed and had been uh, uh repealed and challenged since like 1864 periodically there was more than one time when we were given the right to vote and each time it was challenged right. to the point that we weren't allowed to vote either challenged or they had added conditions to it absolutely to test and absolutely all, all different things and so again for me it's just the responsibility like i don't have to come in here and take no tests yeah, I may have to show you my ID, but, you know, I look good on my driver's license, so I'm good. <laughs> and, you know, I can print my name, so I ain't even writing no X. You can't even uh, uh, disqualify disqualify me for that. And even if I got to take a little more time and you – I don't care what you got to do. I'm voting. I may not vote for the best candidate sometimes, <laughs> but I'm voting because it is a responsibility. I don't know about you, but this year I'm thinking about writing in – somebody's name like i don't know mickey mouse or something like that and voting for them but <laughs> probably do just as well but, but uh no we, we we're gonna vote and, and and from from see this is where my 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 spiritual training kicks in because at the end of the day i'm not saying it's not important who's in the white house but i know that 
I'm also a kingdom citizen. And so uh, the, the head of my government, his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells me of his government, there will be no end. And so he supersedes anything and anybody that's going to get in that White House. And so they're going to do what they do. But I am going to participate in the process. There's no doubt about it. But I ain't, look, if, if, if Trump get in there, which, oh, by the way, I would not be surprised. Wouldn't surprise me either. Would not be surprised. Wait, another question. Yeah. When when was the point during? Because it's been, basically it's been like a two year process, you know, with the Republicans and the Democrats trying to figure out who's going to represent. At one point during this whole process, that you realize, oh my God, <laughs> Donald Trump might actually. It wasn't an oh my God moment for me. I actually, when he won his first primary. In my mind. He might get it. And the reason being, two things. One, um, he had a completely different message. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the Republican Party decided, man, we want a different, we want an outsider. Uh, Donald, Donald Trump is not a Republican. No. Donald Trump is a third-party candidate that hijacked the Republican Party. But the reason he was able to hijack it is that beautiful white skin in a mail package and you can never underestimate how much many of our Caucasian brothers and sisters in this country want to see a Caucasian male back in the White House. You got to remember, man, um, there there are babies who've been born in the last eight years that have never Never seen seen a white white man in the White House. Right. That can't happen. Right. And so, um, when I think I, th- I think when when I when I really really took him serious that he was he might actually get this nomination, mm-hmm. was when he started time after time knocking off many of the ones who were the named uh, Giuliani's, your uh, Bush, Paul, Cruz, yeah, uh, 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 the guy from uh, Ohio. I can't. Uh, yeah, whatever his name, the yeah. governor down there. Yeah. And quite frankly, he probably was the most qualified of all the candidates. The guy from Ohio. I mean, it's hard for, for a guy from Michigan. To, I got you. <laughs> but yeah, you, I got right. you. But just looking at qualifications, he probably the most qualified. But um, this ain't about this ain't about who the best candidate, man. Right. This goes back to our very very first part of the conversation we had in this podcast. It's about money. <laughs> Cash was everything around. It does, man. That's what this is about. Because they feel like this dude, who looked more like what I'm used to seeing, is going to let the money come back to me. When did America stop being greater than it is right now? Because right now, uh, I'm sitting here as an African-American male. I'm the full-time pastor of a church, and I ain't hurting. I mean... I'm I'm only 31, and honestly, this is probably the best, best time I've, I've had in my life. So when they say, make America great again? When was that? <laughs> when they had everything, <laughs> and you didn't have nothing. Right. And so they see the possibility of this man being able to return us to where we got everything, and maybe we'll let you have something. But the common denominator has to be we have everything. And so 
Uh, I I believe right now, man, this is the best time of my life. Yeah. And it's getting better. But I would not be surprised. And it doesn't. I'm not overly concerned with it. But I would not be surprised, man, if Donald Trump. Because my girl Hillary, if you can't beat this man, (laughs) when 11 or so women have come out and actually accused him of sexual assault and you still can't beat him. (laughs) Like what in the world have you been doing? The way I I try to describe this election is I have two choices. I got a pile of doo-doo and a pile of vomit. (laughs) Which one am I really willing to deal with? That might be a good way to look at it. That might be a good way to look at it. Um, I will tell you, now this is only my opinion, but I, I actually didn't believe that Donald Trump wanted to be president. I believe that Donald Trump got out there and was just saying all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was as much a shock to him as well as everybody else. Like, man, they keep voting for me. Now he's in it too thick. He got to go. I, I think the exact same thing. Because right. like, he's, he's talked about running before. Mm-hmm. But he just jumped right back out when he realized, ah, oh, it's not. But, and <laughs> I told my niece the same thing. I think two things happen. One, a lot of times when, if you look at the history of our presidents, when things are good, it's normally a Democrat that's in there, but because people start reading, reaching a certain point of money, mm-hmm. they start voting Republican. Mm-hmm. So I, I already kind of had it in my mind that there was going to be a Republican probably getting in. And then two, it's a black guy that's been running, running the country for eight years, mm-hmm. and they want to change. That. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like, one country being in a good, in a much better spot than it was before, mm-hmm. and Barack Obama being in there, I think that opened the door mm-hmm. for Donald Trump to get in. And you got to realize too, one thing that Barack Obama did during his his candidacy, it was it was completely different. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more social media. It was mm-hmm. a lot more. Mm-hmm. He was more of a rock star than anybody. And Donald Trump comes from a history mm-hmm. of reality TV. He's yep. like, oh, I already know how to do this, yep. so I'm just going to go out there, say the most outrageous thing, yep. and people are going to keep voting for it. And they own it, too. They own it, man, because this is how crazy it is. Uh, this morning before I left home, I was looking at the news, and there were protests. The Trump supporters and the anti-Trump protesters at a rally in Brazil and the police were arresting Trump supporters and anti-Trump protesters in a country that can't even vote for him. Wow. That happened yesterday or this morning or something like that. So um, <laughs> when it's that deep, when it's that thick, um, I won't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised because having President Obama there for eight years, now you're going to tell me I got to wait a possible four more to get this woman out of there. Right. Before I can get a dude that's white. Nah. I'm like, my child will be in junior high before they ever experience what I experienced my whole life. Right. Growing up with a white man in the White House. And so I wouldn't be surprised, man. And wow. keep in mind, keep in mind, uh, now the Hispanics might tip the scale for us. But there's a whole lot more white people in this country than there's black folk. Yeah, that's true. So, and some of us, we, well, I ain't going to say they're crazy, but some of us on the on the Trump wagon too, so. We'll end that. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
why don't you go ahead and uh, promote the church real quick? Let us know <laughs> where the church is. If anybody want to come check you out, and uh, wow. if you're on social media and all that good stuff. Well, wow. Well, first of all, before I do that, man, I just want to say thank you. And I'm proud of you, man. Uh, much love to you, but I'm proud of what you're doing. Proud of the, the man that you have uh, developed into still looking like my younger brother. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I cannot say enough about what it means to sit in front of you to see you doing this because um, you are representing a generation of people that need to be out there on the front line. And, I, and so you're giving a voice to your, your generation and helping to reignite my generation. So I thank you. Thank you. Uh, that being said, uh, here at the Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church at 1010 Chauncey Street in Albion, Michigan, um, we are a little behind on our technology. So <laughs> those in your audience that may uh, want to help us out, get our websites and all that social media stuff, we're... We know how to do it. We just I'm a little limited on people to to actually get that stuff done and okay. and um, and certainly if someone out there that's a musician I need a minister of music <laughs> in the worst kind of way so y'all come on and help me out. But um, we have we have the reputation. Here's the reputation. We had a reputation of being able to break down the word of God in a relevant form so that everybody can understand it. And I think you heard it today in oh, yeah. our little sermon. So uh, people uh, seem to really connect it to the sermon. But we really, really, really try to stand on the word of God. Man, I don't have no opinion about a whole lot of stuff when I'm in that pulpit. It's word of God only. And if it ain't word of God, I don't need to say it and I don't need to hear it. And so uh, anybody that's able to please join us we uh, have sunday school at 9 30 every sunday we have 11 o'clock worship experience and we try to make it a, a clear godly experience uh 6 30 on wednesdays for prayer service and bible study and also on tuesdays on tuesday evening at 6 30 i teach a class currently it's called understanding the bible what i really really became aware of is that a lot of us we read the Bible more if we could actually understand it. Right. And so uh, I actually teach a class on helping you to understand the Bible. So uh, please join us if you ever get a chance. And um, certainly, uh, hopefully, uh, we were a blessing to this podcast today. And But if you just want to hear me in person, come come check me out. All right. You got anything else that, you, that you're working on? Anything else you need to promote? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. I don't know if I'm ready to promote it yet. Okay. Um, the vision that we have for uh, for not only this church, but this community, God, uh, I, I wasn't sent here to do church, be honest with you. Um, I was sent here to, uh, to be an impact player for this community. And church is definitely the focal point and the main uh, uh, point of that. But I believe that if the way God showed it to me, um, if you have three areas covered, you pretty much got it. He gave me a concept called E3. The first E is evangelism, which includes all the church stuff. So whatever you think normal church is, that's that's it. So I don't have to go into that. But the second E, which is extremely important, is education. And that's both secular and Christian education. Um, so uh, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Uh, we're going to create a situation here with this ministry where particularly those individuals that graduate um, as a member of this church and graduate high school, I don't care where they go to college, that bad boy is going to be 100% paid for. 
Wow. And so we are committed to making sure that our, our people are educated. Uh, we're going to teach them how to understand the Word of God. So we're going to give them a Christian education when they're here. But I also want them to have a quality secular education where they can actually be a part of the process at a higher level. But I can get you saved through the Word of God. I can put some knowledge in your head. But if you ain't got no M-O-N-E-Y, <laughs> it's a tough road to hoe, as we would say down in Mississippi. Right. So the third E is economic empowerment. And so we're actually, we've launched actually two companies. Um, one is a non, uh, a 501c3, one's a nonprofit, and one is for-profit. And the mission of those two companies is, particularly for this community and surrounding areas, and the surround, my surrounding areas is, uh, California to, to Georgia. So, you know, right. whatever that looks like, um, we're uh, focused in on training people to be more employable. So there's some there's a training aspect of it. Uh, but there's an entrepreneurial aspect where we will partner with people who have some uh, quality uh, business ideas with a solid business plan and right. may not have any money that we can actually partner with you and help you get your business off the ground. I'm not looking to take over your business. We may end up being like a solid partner for maybe a few years and then phase ourselves out after you're on your feet. Right. But in addition to that, we're also looking to create jobs so that those individuals can come along and get a good job with benefits. So by the way, <laughs> and so that uh, you can actually uh, have a, when they talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstrap, we want to give you some boots in the strap and help you tie your shoes. So, okay. uh, so E3, uh, evangelism, education, economic empowerment. Okay. Yeah. Whenever you, uh, ready to get the word about that, definitely let me know. I'll advertise on the show. I got you, man. I got right. you. But once again, thank you very much. Oh, I really, absolutely. really appreciate it. Cause absolutely. Uh, I know you're probably shy. Like, why is this joker texting me right now? <laughs> like, what is he? I hope you don't want any money. Cause I ain't got nothing. To Listen. Get. <laughs> Anytime my family call me, the first thing I want to know, do you want some money? <laughs> After you don't want no money, we can talk about it. <laughs> well, once again, I appreciate you Bless coming you, on the man. show. Much love, man. Right. Proud of you. All right. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Pastor Bobby McKenzie of the Macedonian Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, once again, I want to thank my uncle for sitting down and having a, <laughs> a pretty lengthy conversation with me. Um, I, I didn't originally attend for the conversation to go that long, but now that's the thing about great conversation, man. They, you know, you just kind of let them go and see, you know, see where they go from there, and it ended up being about a two-hour conversation, um, which is why I had to split it up into two episodes. But we touched on a lot of great topics on this episode and the last episode. Uh, make sure you listen to both, people. Uh, a lot of great information in there. Make sure you check out the Macedonian Missionary Baptist Church Facebook and Instagram page. I will put that information in the show notes. And like I said, once again, thank you, Uncle Bobby, for uh, doing this episode. Um... Like I said in the intro of this show, uh, we've got more archive audio coming up soon. Not sure which one I'm going to put out next. I'm thinking that I'm going to start working on putting out the Ultimate Jay-Z album. I'm thinking that's the way I'm going to go. 
I think I have that pretty much already edited, and I think I just have to add the, the music to it. So we'll see. Well, let's go ahead and start wrapping this episode up, people. Hey, if you're looking for a car, make sure you check out SouthfieldQualityCars.com, though. Yeah, check out their website, look at their inventory, and when you find the vehicle, yes, I said vehicle, that you would like to purchase, <laughs> uh, go into Southfield Quality Cars and use the reference code 19309. That's 19309, and you will receive $500 off on your purchase. And just know that if you got good credit, bad credit, no credit, they will work something out with you people. So that's SouthfieldQualityCars.com. Once again, that reference code is 19309. And make sure you follow, subscribe, uh, like, comment, all that good stuff. Wherever, wherever you're listening to this right now, go find the subscribe button, the follow button. Just click it right there. See, it's right there. See, right there to probably towards the left or the right, right there at the bottom or wherever it is. Just click it right there. Like, subscribe, follow, all that. <laughs> and uh, share it. Share this with other people. This is the information that we need, people. Stuff like this, you know, learning about our history and um, information about how we can make our community better so share with somebody else one per share share this episode with one person and then tell that person to share it with one person and then we'll go from there appreciate y'all um make sure you follow the all stake no sizzle facebook page make sure you follow all stake no sizzle on instagram it's all stake no sizzle one word make sure you follow me on twitter at devin the six three that's d-e-v-i-n-t-h-e six three while you're at it, if you like wrestling and MMA, check out Knockouts and Three Counts. You can follow Knockouts and Three Counts on my Twitter. That's Devin the Six Three D E V I N T H A Six Three. You can follow me on Instagram. All State No Social is one word. You can check out the Knockouts and Three Counts Facebook page. Yeah, or you can go to ko3cpod.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ko3cpod. Just KO3, Knockouts and Three Counts, Podcast Detroit. Follow all those good stuff, people. With all that being said, I think that's all we got to talk about. Um, yeah, with all that being said, people, I appreciate everybody that listens to the show. Until next time. I was trying to think of something very inspirational to say, but I'll just say peace. Peace.